Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So this week, thousands and thousands of people are going to get on a plane or, or hop on a train or pack up the minivan, and they're going to go over the river and through the woods to grandmother's house or Aunt Mary and Uncle Bill's, or whoever it is that you end up going with, because this is this season between Thanksgiving and New Year's, according to the U.S. Department of Transportation, is the busiest travel season of the whole year. And statistically, they have found that during this time, a vast majority of the travel that is done um, from Thanksgiving to New Year's is most often done to be with family. More than anything else, and that's more than any other holiday season. There's more travel during this season than any other holiday season. And the reason for the travel is more about family than any other season uh, in, the, in, our, in, our, in our year. And, um, and so it's really all about family. This is a time of family. And um, for some of you, you're looking forward to that. It's, uh, you, know, you love your family. You're looking forward to seeing everybody and those cousins that you haven't seen for a year. And everybody's going to get together. And you just can't wait till it comes and others of us are filled with dread and apprehension and tension and wondering what the blow-up is going to be this year. Um, there is, there is, for some reason, there's this thing about family that is good, but it also can be bad sometimes. And, and as imperfect as our families might be and some right, sometimes downright dysfunctional, there's still something about family. We've been going through this series looking at Isaiah's prophecy about the coming Messiah that centuries before his birth, uh, um, that, that Isaiah prophesied about this coming Messiah. And we've looked at a couple of the names so far, that, that he would be called Wonderful Counselor. With, we carried the idea that, that Jesus was going to take on our humanity and experience life on our terms so that he understands whatever it is that you might be going through in your life. That he is that wonderful counselor because he knows by experience in a way that God would not know any other way. And we looked last week that he is also mighty God, which means he is powerful enough to to make a difference in our lives. And today we're going to look at the third one, uh, which is everlasting father. Isaiah prophesied about it this way. It's in Isaiah chapter 9. Just going to read verse 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Today, I just want to take that one Everlasting Father, because it's actually something that centuries later, after Jesus' birth and his life and his ministry, his death and his resurrection, one of his apostles, John, wrote about this, picked up that very same theme. And in his first letter, he wrote these words, 1 John 3. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him. We shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Centuries beforehand, Isaiah prophesied about this everlasting father. And then centuries later, John said, fulfilled. In Christ, this is fulfilled. That now because of Christ, we are now children of God. 
And so I want to kind of unpack that a little bit because it talks really about belonging. It has a sense that, that now we are a part of his family, but there's some implications of that. And so I want to kind of take a little bit further, kind of unpack it a little bit. And what does that mean to us, you and me today, to be able to call God our everlasting father? And I want to start with this idea that because he is our everlasting father, it means that we have a new identity. Every one of us, by our faith in Christ, we, we, we get a new identity. Now, every one of us in this room has an identity. You have an identity given to you pretty much by your parents, okay? And it starts with your name. You were given a name. You have a family name that you were born into. I was born into the Jensen family. That has meaning to it. It means that somewhere, great, 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 great grandfather, somewhere back in our lineage, um, I had a grand, great, great grandfather named Jens, <laughs> And he had a son, and he went by Jens's son. And so that's the meaning of my family name. And not all that impressive. In fact, if you go back to Scandinavia, Jensen is like Smith is over here, okay? It wasn't that big thing. But, but there is something about it. Jensen, the way it is spelled, my name is spelled J-E-N-S-E-N, which is the Danish way that name is spelled, which means I have a heritage. That my family is from Denmark. My family is Danish. I have a heritage that comes with that. And then my parents gave me a first name. My name is Ken. Ken has a meaning. Do you know what the meaning of the name Ken is? Handsome one. I'm just saying. All right? That's my identity. Um, actually, I, I don't know if ever, anybody's ever noticed it before. My name is spelled K-E-N-J-E-N-S-E-N. -E -E yeah, isn't that cool? Yeah, I had a middle school um, English teacher who thought that was the funniest thing in the world. So every time I got a corrected paper back, she had changed my name in the upper right-hand corner. Sometimes it was Jen Kensen. Sometimes it was Sen Ken Jen. Sometimes it was Jen Sen Ken. It was, she, just, she had all kinds of fun. Every paper I got back, she had changed my name. Okay? But that's my identity. Now, also from your parents, you got some genes not Levi's, you got, you got DNA, okay? And a lot of who you are is made up of because of the genes that you got from your parents. And that determined a number of things about you. It determined uh, your eye color, determines your, your hair color. It determines whether or not you get to keep your hair or not. I look at my dad and I'm thinking, oh. <laughs> There's certain genetic things about your makeup. Um, how many here can curl your tongue? Any tongue curlers here? Okay, yeah, about, that's about right. About 65%, we are told, um, are tongue curlers. That's by genetics. Some of you can't. You know, okay. I'm a tongue curler. I can actually touch the tip of my nose with my tongue. I won't do that for you. It's kind of gross looking. But, but okay, so there's all these qualities and all these characteristics. And then on top of that, the way that you were raised, the values that your family instilled in you, the way that you were disciplined, all that went into who you are today. And the vast majority of all of that came from your parents. That's your identity. And then Isaiah comes along and he says, now you're going to be given a new identity. That this Messiah is going to open up a way by which you could become a child of God. John wrote about it this way. He says, what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And he doesn't stop there. He says, what great love that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. What he's saying is we didn't just get a new name. But with that came a whole new identity. 
that, that, that God has now put his thumbprint on our lives. And, and there's something about putting my life in his hands and receiving the grace of God through his son, Jesus Christ, that begins to change who I am at, at, at the core of who I am. That something changes and I have a new identity and it all comes down to his grace. John wrote about it in his gospel. He wrote to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. I remember in John's gospel, Jesus has an encounter with a man named Nicodemus. He talks about this idea is you must be born Again, what he's talking about is there is a new birth, a new life, a new identity that comes to us when we are in Christ. And you look in Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel specifically, because they're the ones that tell the, the story of Jesus' birth. They tell the nativity story. Both of them start with the genealogy. They give you Jesus' family tree. Matthew traces it back through Joseph's lineage. Um, Luke tends to trace it back through um, uh, Mary's lineage. But both of them give us this, this history, this family tree that Jesus came from. And, and this, this past year, we went all the way through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, the story. And, and all of those names that are in there, a lot of those names you might remember because they're names of people that we talked about as we went through the story. And, and you go through the story and you go through all of those lists of names and there's, there are crooks, there are connivers, there are prostitutes, there are, there are Gentiles, there are, there's a whole mixture of people in there. And there's, there's names of great people, great men like King David, but even the great men had feet of clay. It's like, it's like God wants us to understand that being a part of his family is not about how great you are or how bad you are. Martin Luther, great theologian, put it this way. He said, it's as though God intended for people to read this genealogy and say to themselves, oh, Christ is the kind of person who's not ashamed of sinners. See, he even has them in his family tree. And if you're here and you think to yourself, you know, from where I've been and what I've done, I don't know if there's any hope for me with God. It's like Jesus would say, are you kidding? Look at my family tree. That's my family. That's available to you. Writer of the Hebrews put it this way. Now Jesus and the one he makes, once he make, makes holy have the same father. And that's why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and our sisters. For those of you who are here this morning, you think, I don't know if there's any hope for me. Jesus would say, absolutely. That's what my family is made up of. By his grace, we're given a new identity. And then something else comes with that. We are also given a greater depth of intimacy with God. That the relationship has changed. John put it this way. What great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. That what great love literally translated. And our Bible was originally written in the, in the Greek language. And that literal translation of that really comes, it, it says, from what country is this kind of love? <laughs> or, or we would say in modern times, from what planet is that? Because that is so foreign, that is so alien, it is so different than what we'd ever think of in terms of love. It is something so beyond our contribution, our, 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 our ability to comprehend, that, that, that we, we can't even grasp it. 
He says, that's the love that God has for us. That's what everlasting father means. You go through the Old Testament, there's over 1,100 references to father. There are only a handful of those that refer to God. Most of those are in the Psalms where David is, is pouring out his heart to, to father God. But that is not the way people thought about God. I mean, for those of us, maybe today we talk about our Heavenly Father and it just so trips off our lips so lightly. But, but you got to understand that that is a foreign thought to the people that read Isaiah's prophecy. It's even a foreign thought to, to, to John as he writes this. That's why he says, what kind of planet does this love come from? Because God is not someone that you refer to as your father. God is great and magnificent and awesome and and he is to be obeyed he is to be revered and he is to be feared but don't go around calling him daddy in fact in fact the name of god was never allowed to come on your lips when moses met with god in, at the burning bush and 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 he's given the assignment to go and lead the people of israel out of their bondage and slavery in egypt and and moses says to god who shall i say sent me God gives him this name. He says, you tell them, I am sent you. And, and, and we don't even know actually how that word is pronounced. We have the consonants, Y-H-W-H. We say Yahweh, but we really don't know what that name is pronounced because nobody would dare speak that name. It is too holy. It is too otherworldly. And John says, what an amazing love that we would be called his children. That we would be able to call him Father. Through the birth of this one child, we now have access to become his children. Paul wrote to the Galatian church this way. He said, you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you've received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. Now that Abba... Okay? That is not some special, most revered father. You know what it is? It's the first words of a baby calling out to Papa. It's the Hebrew version of Papa, Daddy. He says, this is the level of intimacy that God has made available to us through Christ. That we not only get a new identity, we get a new sense of intimacy with God. That we could cry out to him as a young child's first words on his lips. That's the level of intimacy he's given to us, which means, which means that he loves us with an everlasting love, which means he will never give up on you. Never give up on me because loving fathers don't. Oh, sometimes they have to correct. Sometimes they have to discipline. Sometimes they have to step in because that's what parents do. But it's not out of punishment and it's not out of anger and wrath. It's about love and correction. Again, the writer of the Hebrews put it this way. My dear child, don't shrug off God's discipline, but don't be crushed by it either. It's the child he loves that he disciplines. The child he embraces, he also corrects. When we are raising our kids, one of the things that we really tried to do, and I would say 99.5% of the time we did it, was we always tried to convey to our kids that we still love you. Don't particularly like your behavior right now, <laughs> but we still love you. And we always tried, whatever discipline we ever had to meet out on our kids, we always tried to end it with a hug. 
so that they knew they were still loved. This wasn't because I'm mad at you. It's not me just venting my anger. This is because I love you. And that's the way that God treats us. Because of Christ, we have this level of intimacy with him, which means he'll never give up on us. Which goes to the third thing I want to share. That as our everlasting father, we now have an assurance about our eternity. See, that's, that's the word that he uses. He will be called everlasting or eternal father. Which means there's no end to this relationship. It might have a beginning, but it will not have an end. It is eternal. That the eternal God came and entered humanity so that humanity would have the opportunity for eternity. That's what Christ did for us. Stephen Siemens puts it this way. He said, because Christ became human, what, that, what it means to be human has changed forever for everyone. Through the incarnation, God established contact with us and created the possibility of humanity reconciled, restored, and united with God. See, one of the things that Jesus did is he changed the definition of eternity. He changed the definition of eternal life. Because we tend to think of it as by and by, pie in the sky, when I die, up in heaven somewhere. Okay, that's kind of how we tend to think of it. It's something vague, nebulous. It's out there. We talked about this a couple weeks ago when we were going through the book of Revelation. That, that we have this idea that, it's, that it's, it's clouds and harps and wings and halos and all that kind of stuff. And, and what Christ came to do was to help us understand, no, 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 this is something real. He came and became a real, solid human being. He wasn't some ethereal spirit figure that drifted through life. He came so that we would know that eternal life is real. It's solid. And it's not by and by pie in the sky when I die. It begins here and now. It's a relationship. See, that's how he redefined eternity. That's how he redefined eternal life. It's something that begins in a relationship with him here and now. And that's what Christ came to make available to us. Because of this eternity that we have, now it has implications in our lives today. He says, now we are children of God. What we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And then he goes on and he has this sentence. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. In other words, knowing what our eternal destiny is, it gives us hope and confidence to move in that direction here and now. See, Eternity isn't, I put my life in Christ, now I sit around and drink coffee until he comes again. <laughs> it's really about moving toward a destination. If, if, if an Olympic hopeful knew at the beginning of their training that the end result would be they would, get, they would win an Olympic gold medal, that would not diminish their training in any way. In fact, it would give them greater confidence and greater push to say, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. It would intensify their training knowing that this could be the outcome. This will be the outcome. And that's what he's saying to us. When we know our eternal destiny, when that is secure because of what Christ has done for us, now knowing that, we make our direction of our life that direction. And it starts to change and transform us from the inside out. We don't become somebody different. We're still ourselves, but we are ourselves transformed. That God begins the transformation process at that first step of faith and obedience. 
See, a lot of people think that it's all about, I got to get my act together. I got to straighten up my life. I got to be a better person and somehow make myself a little more lovable so God will accept me into his heaven. And it's just the opposite. He says, no, no, no. I'll take care of that part for you. I want you to just start now and live with me. See, sonship, adoption, being a child, that's the first step. The rest of it is what is the outgrowth of that decision, the outgrowth of that relationship. It's not I clean in my act up and get it all together first so that God will accept me as his son. It's no, no. He has already adopted me as his son and he's made that sure in Christ. So now my life is moving in a new direction toward him. That what we shall be is what we are becoming here and now. And that is the ongoing process that we talk about here. In fact, it's one of our core values. We talk about it a lot around here, that we are all people in process. We are at different stages in that process. We are at different levels of maturity in this family. But none of us has it made. None of us has it all figured out. We are all moving together in this direction. John Ortberg writes about it. One of his books, The Me I Want to Be. And he talks about this process of transformation. He says, God can see the best version of you. And he is more concerned with you reaching your full potential than you are. God made you to flourish, to receive life from outside yourself, creating vitality within yourself and producing blessing beyond yourself. As God helps you grow, you will change. But you will always be you. Your uniqueness is God-designed. Some people think that if they seek to grow spiritually, that they will have to become someone else. But God won't discard your raw material. He just redirects it. God doesn't make anything and then decide to throw it away. He creates. And then if there's a problem, he rescues. Redemption always involves the redemption of creation. Here's the good news. When you flourish, you become more you. You become more that person God had in mind when he thought you up. You don't just become holier. You become you <laughs> God wants to redeem you, not exchange you. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.